If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for this one, bro. I'm really excited, man. And Why? I, uh, well, a, a good friend of mine is uh, joining me on the show. Uh, for for the listener, it might not be out for a little bit, but me, me and uh, my friend Thaddeus had uh, hey. had some recordings yesterday for his podcast. They might be uh, out in a, in a while, um, so we'll we'll definitely make sure to to share and post that when it happens. But uh, we're, we're Thaddeus is uh, let's call it returning the favor after yesterday's uh, session. Yes, I appreciate that a lot, man. <laughs> uh, no, thank yeah. you, thank how, you. How do you guys know each other? Oh, we go yeah. back quite a bit, man. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, about the time that I knew you, uh, Darnell, is give or take uh, a year, probably, mm-hmm. from when I met you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we met uh, at a previous church that we both attended, and I think. The the first thing that we kind of clicked on was actually our, our mutual love for theology, mm-hmm. and I forgot the way that we um, first started talking. Joel reminded me <laughs> last night on our on the podcast that it was on a Cuba mission trip, and I saw this guy reading a John MacArthur commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, we were we I think we ended up roommates, like without really mm-hmm. knowing each other. Although yeah. I went to the year before I had gone to Cuba, I was roommates with Thaddeus's current roommate at the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were somewhat connected, but yeah, the, the missions trip, I don't know what it is, man. When you're, when you're in another country sweating, doing like a work, mm-hmm. you know, missions trip, there's just this bonding that's different. Yeah. Let's say. Actually, some of those pictures came up on my Facebook feed the other day. You know how it like reminds you of memories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them was a picture of you with the hammer. Remember when we were like <laughs> straightening out nails by hand with those hammers? <laughs> it was that picture. <laughs> this was Mrs. Trip. Yeah, yeah, man. Like in, in Cuba, Cuba. They, at least back then, I don't know if it's still that way now, but like they didn't waste anything. So even like used nails that they recovered from like old board, they would save the nails and then straighten out the nails to reuse them. Yeah. And, and wood was like such a premium. Mm-hmm. They would use wood to like lay their concrete. But as soon as they were done, they'd strip that all away and use it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it, it was just so expensive or, or, or just rare is probably a better word than expensive. Yeah. So yeah, we 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 go th- way back. So you know, this is uh, it's gonna be fun, I think, and and I hope uh, the listeners will really appreciate uh, some of uh, Thaddeus's let's call it story, but also uh, what he's doing and and what he has to contribute to to some of the conversations that we like to have. Yeah. Amen. So so tell us about yourself, Thaddeus. For sure. Um, where do you want me to start? <laughs> um, where you were born and raised. All right. Well, if you can uh, figure it out by now, I'm definitely from Australia. No, I am from Trinidad and Tobago, the beautiful twin island oh in the gosh, Southern Caribbean. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Represent Trinidad in the house to the bone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So born and raised in Trinidad, um, you know, till I was around 19, left there for college, you know, doing my undergrad in Florida in 3D computer animation. Uh, that was my first career, I guess. Worked in that for a while, several years in the video game industry. Did a postgrad in Vancouver in film and visual effects because back then I had like you know pipe dreams of being in animation for film. Uh, and then 
eventually ended up in the video game industry because in film, like everything is contract work. And I was like, I want a full-time job. So, you know, started designing characters for video games, uh, worked on a couple of pretty big titles. And it was during that time that I ended up in Canada uh, because the studio I was working for had a, a, a studio here and I had family here. So I was like, ah, move somewhere where I at least know some people. And yeah, the Lord just had a call in my life. I left the, the gaming industry, did my master's degree in theology and ended up in full-time church ministry. That's kind of the Coles notes. There's a whole lot of other stuff in there. No, no, <laughs> like, no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, wow. Okay. So I, I was just going to say, sorry, yeah. one funny point is Thaddeus and I went to, to the same church. And then now when he's in full-time ministry, five, 10 years later, almost we are, we go to, or both work for sort of affiliated churches at the mm -hmm. time. Um, okay. Right so, now? No, no I, I've moved on from that job, but he's still okay. um, yeah, okay. sort of at, it's just a, I don't know, sovereignty of God slash, you know, you run in similar circles, but just ending up yeah. like, you know, uh, my, my church was sort of the church planting church. So we did like, and I worked in the accounting department, like, you know, so I'm like working with Thaddeus as, you know, from a, a finance perspective a little bit. So mm -hmm. it was, it was cool to sort of, when you, when he got hired slash, you know, all that was going on. You know, it was uh, it was cool. It was a cool sort of full circle, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sorry. So, what school did you go to? Uh, for what? Um, you said you went uh to get you went to school um for theology. Yes. Yeah. So I went to MacDiv, so McMaster Divinity College, out in Hamilton, and did my Master's of Theological Studies there. Kind of focused in on um. I decided to do Greek, even though it wasn't necessary for the theological studies degree, uh, just because I love languages. And actually, that was one of the reasons why I chose MacDiv, is that I heard that Stan Porter was the dean there, and he's like world-renowned for like Greek scholarship. So I was like, I got to study under that guy. Um, and you know, the, the level of academic rigor at MacDiv was pretty high. Um, you know, I think in general, they probably fall theologically quite differently to where I am. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, they tend to fall a little bit more egalitarian and some would say a little bit more liberal leaning as well, uh, whereas I'm pretty staunchly conservative and reformed. So, yeah, but it was a, a good experience. It definitely pushed me to have to re-examine a lot of my starting suppositions. Uh, I always tell people like, you know, when I went into seminary, I had beliefs. When I came out of seminary, I had convictions because mm -hmm. I had a lot of uh, professors who landed different to me, uh, who challenged me because these are PhDs, you know, they've thought through their positions quite thoroughly. And when you get challenged by someone with that sort of rigor and you have to defend your, your position and write a paper, uh, you know, you have to make sure that it's, it's, it's a sound it's argument, tight. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah sloppy, yes. sloppy arguments aren't going to fly. Exactly. You know, and, and I'm assuming a lot of those guys, they know the best arguments against their position. Mm -hmm. And if you can articulate it well, they'll have respect for it. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, somewhat of, let's say, the left-leaning schools where it's like people talk about, just write the paper the, the professor wants to read. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's actually one of the things to their credit. You know, even though I landed differently to, you know, a few of my professors, um, even for one, uh, and I wouldn't say his name, just don't, don't want to you know, put that out there. But uh, he, you know, he and I had a lot of disagreements in class and so on, yet, you know, still just this, you know, um, graciousness about it. And one of the papers I wrote was like specifically against one of his, you know, positions. I won't say exactly what, but um, he actually gave me an A in that, even though like, you know, we still disagree, but he was like, that's a sound argument. You made your case well. So I have a lot of respect for that, especially, you know, 
today with the whole cancel culture kind of thing, it seems like nobody can really have conversations and disagree in a gracious manner. But that was really refreshing to, even though I very, you know, passionately disagree with this, you know, fellow brother in the Lord, we can still, you know, show grace to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, at my uh, my graduation, I high fived him. So that was uh, <laughs> yes, that was yes, great. Yes. It's on camera. Yeah. That's cool. So, 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 what do you do for ministry now? Yeah. So, I, I serve full time at my church. I'm director of media and discipleship classes. Uh, so, basically, media is everything uh, you know, audio and video related, basically, and web. And then discipleship classes is all of the teaching ministries that's not pulpit. So, uh, like stuff like small group curriculum, uh, classes and workshops that we give for training. Um, discipleship in terms of like new life, so new believers and so on, mm-hmm. baptism classes and membership classes. Mm-hmm. Those sort of stuff. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think it's a, unless Darnell's got a, another, let's say life question, I think your, your sort of, let's call it two educational paths uh, have a nice overlap that leads to your website uh, or blog, mm-hmm. podcast, you know, your, your brand of Theotivity. Um, and and I'm wondering how much did that originate, sort of like as a as an idea or a seed, while working in, you know, the the let's say graphic design industry prior mm-hmm. to leaving. That sort of just, you know, maybe it was an aspect of like as a Christian, you sort of felt peculiar in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just curious how much was that seed planted, you know, before your call, feeling the calling, or or you know, mm-hmm. having the calling that led you down a different path. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I remember growing up and while I was doing my undergrad in 3D, you know, I'd have uh, childhood um, friends or, or family friends and like older kind of auntie uncles, right? Who would be like, oh, that is, you know, God's going to use you to create like Christian animations and this sort of stuff. And I'd always just kind of, you know, suck my teeth and be like, ah, nah, <laughs> you know, because like they don't have any clue of like how much, uh, work and manpower and just resources it takes to to make like you know Pixar level kind of films. It's like I can't right. do that on my own, right? Like that's just not realistic. I mean, I'd right. love to see um, those sorts of films developed from a Christian worldview, um, but that's not realistic for one guy to do, right? Uh, so I kind of scoffed at that a little bit uh, in the beginning, and then as I think I you know God gra- grabbed a hold of my heart more and more, and I grew in th- my theological understanding and convictions and so on. Now you know. Have a real conviction that okay, you know, even though I can't do Pixar level, let's say, I do need, I do have certain gifts and talents that um, I think we need to steward well uh, for the glory of God, and that doesn't necessarily always mean full time ministry. For me, obviously, it did, um, but I think we can create and and use those talents uh, in a way that glorifies God. That's not just trivial in you know. Martin Luther had this uh, story he used to tell. How does like uh, he, to illustrate this? He's you know, he's illustrating vocation or calling. And he said like you know how does a Christian um, cobbler or shoemaker you know glorify God? Is it by stitching a cross on every single shoe? Well, no. It's by making a good quality shoe and selling it at a fair price. That in everything that we do, we glorify God. So I think getting a grasp of you know those sorts of practical ways that theology affects what you do. Um, really had an impact on me and just made me want to to think more deeply and intentionally about how do I bring these two big passions that I have, theology and creativity, together. So that was the vision and kind of drive behind what eventually became Theotivity. I played around with a lot of different ideas and how that might look. 
to be honest though, a lot of theotivity is more heavy on the theology side than it is on the creativity side, just because bandwidth, man, you just only have so many hours in a day. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah. that makes sense. The creativity side is, I think, just more of a personal portfolio at this point, but I'd like for it to grow to more what than do you that. Do, what do you do uh, creatively? Are, are you designing, are you creating mm -hmm. um, animation now? Yeah, so I kind of have uh, eclectic interests, I guess, in creativity. So I get bored easily <laughs> is probably the problem. And um, I do right now, I do a lot of illustration. Uh, oil painting is something that I picked up during the pandemic, actually, uh, or a little bit before. Um, I do 3D sculpting. I um, actually have been working recently on some freelance 3D sculpting work. Uh, and yeah, just like, design work video editing you know those sorts of stuff so i kind of jump around to a lot of different things yeah no i i uh i definitely uh have seen you know the breadth of of stuff that you've done over the years i think you was the oil painting part of when you went back to trinidad during um, the pandemic no 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 I'm trying to remember the timeline on it. I think I started oil painting before the pandemic, so before Trinidad. Oh, okay. yeah, for, for the listeners who don't understand the reference, so I was stuck in Trinidad for four months when the pandemic hit. So we had a trip planned to Europe, actually, which got canceled, but we had already taken the, the vacation days. So we were just like, well, let's just go you know, visit my family in Trinidad because we already have these days off. Uh, because back then, COVID was just something you know, across the Atlantic. It's across the pond. It didn't really affect us. And then, well, you know, a, a two-week you know visit ended up being four months in Trinidad on the lockdown. Oh wow! But yeah, yeah, but you're from there, so I am. So at least we weren't like stuck in Europe for four months because then we'd right. be paying like hotel fees, right? Right. So now, we were now, staying by family. Yeah. Now, how old were you when you came up here? Uh, like here to Toronto? Yeah. Hmm, how old was I? Or that actually, was or actually, actually, or actually left, actually left Trinidad. Okay, I left. I left Trinidad when I was 19. When you were 19. Yeah. But you go back often. Oh, yeah. Like, so the whole period of time when I was doing my undergrad and also working in the States in 3D, I would go back to Trinidad sometimes multiple times a year. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. And, and, and quickly, quickly, what, what's yeah. your favorite Trinidadian dish? <laughs> oh, <laughs> just real quick. I'm just curious. Favorite Trini dish. Hmm. Aside from, aside from obviously my mom's cooking, which every dish is my favorite, probably her lasagna is my favorite favorite, but uh, man, that's hard. I think this is the stereotypical answer, but I think it's bacon shark. Okay. Like, I, right, I have such a craving. <laughs> I, I have such a craving for bacon shark. Every time I go home, I have to go to the beach. That nice, you know, warm, salty breeze on your face and you go and get some bacon shark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, so, my, mom, my mom's Trinidadian. Yeah. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so for the uh, ignorant white guy who has no idea what does, is <laughs> is bacon shark exactly what it sounds like? Yeah. No. So it's not. I'm not saying bacon <laughs> and shark. Okay. So it's bake <laughs> and shark. The the bake part is a fried dough. It's kind of like a yellow fried doughy uh, thing, and it, it's a, like a sandwich that we make. So they fry the the shark uh, in this batter. It's so good, and then um, you kind of make a sandwich with it. And there's all of these toppings. And the thing about bacon shark is that there's all of these competing um, bacon shark stalls on the beach, and each one of them have you know their own assortment of um toppings and so on and sauce and sauces that you can put on it 
And everybody has, you know, their favorite one uh, that they think is, you know, the best bacon shark on Maracas Bay, which is like the famous beach that we go to. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. some of the toppings would be like uh, pineapple. A lot of them put pineapple on it as well. And you have like your your vegetables, you know, your your um, lettuce and coleslaw mm-hmm. and stuff. But then they'll also have like a shadow benny sauce and like a hot sauce and mango sauce. And it's just oh, just all of the flavors together. Just it's it, it's like a symphony for your uh, taste buds. <laughs> okay, I totally thought you said bacon shark no, no, no. <laughs> and i was like that sounds delicious <laughs> you know what somebody should put bacon on bacon bacon shark because i think it would it would sell that, that would be the thing that pushes it over for people oh that's for good. a canadian maybe mm-hmm. um so 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 coming back to uh theotivity yeah. um you know as much as you've said um it's a little bit more theology you know when i listen to your podcast content you definitely seem to be targeting more to the creatives. And so uh, I'm curious if you can speak to sort of what is, you know, what is your goal? What is your hope? What is your intention? And, and whether that's different for the podcast lately, or is it all, you know, is it all one big bucket? Or, you know, when I'm on your website, you sort of have, let's call it a couple, di- even though you've got, you know, you've got podcast, theology, creativity, the gospel, resources. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to the theology section, you know, and, and same thing with creatives, right? You've got subsections and, and so you've got, you know, lots of different areas that you touch on. And I'm just curious, you know, can you speak to sort of um, what is maybe your modus operandi currently? And is that all the same or are you sort of using different outlets in different manners? Yeah, sure. Good question. I think it's all related in terms of like, what's my goal, man, to take over the world. <laughs> but, uh, but Pinky actually, and though, the brain, brain, brain. Um, yeah. But actually, though, I want to see, you know, Christianity and Christendom and Christ's kingdom spread. And I think like it, it's almost strategic in a way um, to target creatives and not to say that, you know, other uh, people uh, or Christians are, aren't, you know, um, useful towards the kingdom or anything like that. But if you think about it, it, within culture, the creatives in our culture are the culture makers, right? They set trends. They set, um, you know, what's the style for the year or whatever it is. They, they're the ones who proclaim. They're the ones who make the, the message, um, you know, digestible to people and attractive to people as well, right? And you think of advertising and those sorts of things. So in a way, targeting creatives specifically is, is quite strategic for a, for a kingdom-minded sort of perspective in terms of how we want to see God's kingdom grow uh, in the world today. So for me thinking through it, why is it that I focus uh, you know, so heavily on the theology content of it is because I want to equip creatives with solid and biblical, well-thought-out theology that's applied to everyday practical living. Um, because as they grow in that, and this is partially coming out of my own experience, that as I grew in my theology and deepened in that and understanding just and getting a big vision for the glory of God and just the grandeur of God as well, and also for his word, that it inevitably will come out in your creativity. You see, the last thing that I want to do is tell a creative, okay, to be a Christian creative, you have to do this. You have to create this way. You have to do, you know, put, you know, I don't know, whatever, some corny gospel presentation into every single thing, because then you end up with Kirk Cameron movies, right? Nothing against Kirk Cameron. Uh, But like, I don't want corny (laughs) Christian content, right? Like, I want Christians to create out of a passion, a zeal for God's glory that can't be contained, right? So, and I think the only way that you get there is to go deep in theology. And also, I think that a lot of times we 
we kind of put down creatives or, or maybe don't give them enough credit. Like a lot of people think of creative types as these, you know, airhead sort of feely people who, you know, are just kind of the artsy eccentric person or whatever, right? Like, I know that's a total stereotype, but it is. And that's why I want to not play into that because the fact of the matter is that a lot of creatives are also very sharp thinkers. You look at, for example, creatives in the Renaissance, like guys like Leonardo da Vinci, who are just masters at multidisciplinary um, subjects, right? Like he had thoughts about science and about like, aviation and about the arts and about humanities and, and so many different things, right? Um, he was a true Renaissance man, man in, in the truest sense. And I think like that's the type of creatives and create, uh, that I want to speak to and help to equip. Uh, and I think that giving them a robust Christian worldview is just one of the ways that you kind of get there. And I think a strategic thing to tr even transforming culture on a whole, potentially. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still a, sm a small fry, right? Like I'm a really small <laughs> guppy in a big ocean, right? Uh, but I'm trying to do, uh, to be faithful with what God has, you know, entrusted me with now. And I'll tr entrust him to determine the breadth of that ministry. No, that's that's good, and and you know when you were talking at the beginning there, yeah. I sort of was br taken back a little bit to, um, I was drawing a parallel sort of to the creatives to the to the storytelling, and I'm mm -hmm. thinking about you know some of the controversies with Disney and other you know big name, mm -hmm. um, you know with the type of content that they're creating, but I'm also yeah. I also thought back to our episode uh, 153 uh, with Vince Consilla when we were talking about why reading dystopian literature. Mm -hmm. And and he was really you know speaking to why reading fiction in general because Darnell told him how much he hates fiction uh, <laughs> and why and Darnell's like convince me I should read fiction but yeah. but I think I saw the parallel there to the idea that like storytelling is yeah. maybe undervalued in the Christian community absolutely it captures the imagination right um, it affects us on almost a subconscious level and sometimes that can be even more profound and life-shaping than propositional truths. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the author James K. Smith, but he writes like this trilogy of books. Uh, one of them is called Desiring the Kingdom. And in the whole thesis of that book, he's just making the argument that we are at, at root desiring beings before we're thinking beings. That, you know, and, and things that shape our affections oftentimes do so at a subconscious level. No, that that's... Uh, I, I'm also drawn to the, like, the subconscious sort of makes sense, but I'm also thinking yeah. of like sort of the allegory part, right? Yeah. Where like, I mean, think about, you know, we could talk about Lord of the Rings or, or different things like that, where these great storytellers are somewhat tapping into, let's call it true mysticism, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that, um, in order to tell another story. And, um, but the other side of that, though, is that we know that God is written in the creation. So even for the unsaved, Mm -hmm. They they know the truth in, in in some vague sense, right? Mm -hmm. And and such that there are biblical truths that that God could, or even just them, unintentionally can come through in their work. Yeah. That that again, going back to the fact that you know Christians, to some extent, my point being, we undervalue the storytelling, and so. I mean, obviously, reading a book. Not to say that those people aren't qualified as creatives. Um, mm -hmm. In your world, it's a little bit more of the visual creative, um, but but I do think there's so much value in creating like visual content that's telling a story, um, mm -hmm. whether that's 
you know, a short story, whether that like one of the things that, again, not to say that this is sort of totally a random, but like, I would love to be able to write on, you know, I'll call it an API or an AI to be able to literally take our podcast and put it to cartoons. Hmm. Like you just, we, we do the audio and then, you know, there's a programmed cartoon version of our conversation. Yeah. You know, there, there's a program that, that can do that, but we could talk a little bit more about that off air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If uh, you want the six cents to do so, follow us on Buy Me a Coffee and support our budget because I'm sure it's not a cheap option. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be, they got to hire Thaddeus to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but you're right, man. Like, you know, stories have so much power, right? Like, why is it that Disney is such a powerhouse in our culture today, right? Well, it's all comes down to story. They captivated imaginations, right? And at the end of the day, everyone is living out of a big story that they believe. It's called a worldview, right? And, you know, the leftists and the secularists and the, the agnostics and the atheists, they're all living out, uh, uh, you know, what they think is the big story of life. They're, they're, you know, everybody's moving towards some vision of what the good life is, of what their utopia is, so to speak, right? Like, in that way, like, all of life is eschatological. We're, we're trying to all reach whatever we imagine or think is the the good end of history right um and you know christians we have the advantage that well what we think is the good end of history actually is it's true and it's based on god's word and inevitably you're going to create out of whatever big picture story you think life is about and it's going to determine how you make sense of the world of how you think of where you fit in the world and your identity and place in it uh, so stories really, really matter. And I think if we become better storytellers, we can start to, you know, that's not just another tool in the kit that you can start to win more and more culture and also captivate the, the hearts and minds of people um, with the Christian story. Because it's not just true, it's also beautiful. And I actually think that's one of the reasons why Christianity is very unique in the sense that like we're a religion that doesn't just state our truths. We have to sing them. Because they're not just mm. propositionally true, but they're also beautiful, mm. right? And Amen. Amen. That's, that's, well said. that's huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, you know, our doxology or our worship is highly influenced by our theological understandings or our, like, I, I, that's sort of, let's call it the analytical way of, I think, saying a very similar thing to what, what you've said. Um, yeah, I, which, I actually I, I tweeted I tweeted a uh, uh, song lyrics um, on Sunday from the song we were singing uh, in church. Um, the song "Our Sin, Our, Our Sins They Are Many, But His Mercy mm -hmm. Is More." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matt the, the, um I think it's Je um, Ked Gettys. Um, oh, okay, the Gettys. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yes, yeah, but but yeah, but like you just said, um, the truths of the song. Just really um, put you, um, mm -hmm. just kind of um, sober you up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, unless you have any more uh, creative nuggets to to, to pass <laughs> on, uh, let's. I'd like to transition a little to 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 the. There's an article from uh, the Gospel Coalition um, by a, a past guest on our show, 
uh, came out on April 20th, 2022. Two time, two time past two guest. Time. Well, <laughs> one published episode, two, two times. Five. Past- <laughs> 2.5 or no, no, two, but there was one that, that, yeah, uh, we, that didn't, the, the audio that didn't just didn't, just didn't yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So but anyways, shout out to Chris. Yeah. So, so, um, why Christians should and shouldn't care about religious freedom, uh, mm-hmm. was his article. And, you know, I think the, and shouldn't part is in quote in brackets to sort of signify he's being a little like, okay, what is, you know, he's adding this piece that's like peculiar. Um, and, and I'm, you know, as the writer of much theology and masters of, of, uh, was it, was it MDiv? Is that what you said you had? MTS. Uh, oh, MTS. The, what, what is your perspective, uh, let's say, or, or what are your thoughts on this article regarding, uh, religious freedoms and, and, Especially in light of, uh, let's say, the pandemic and some of the, let's call it debate about mm-hmm. what religious freedoms mean in, in a climate like we've had. Yeah, for sure. It's a hot topic these days, uh, to be sure. I think, uh, you know, you got to be living under a rock uh, to, to not have at least thought a little bit about liberties and, and freedoms within the past two years of, you know, a lot of these liberties and freedoms being restricted. I read the article. It's, you know, um, I think he's a good writer. He says a lot of good things uh, and biblical things to affirm about, you know, the limits of state authority was one of the sections. And, you know, there he he points out that, you know, God's given specific and limited authority to government. And, you know, yes and amen to all of that, you know. And I also think I would add to his statement on that and just his recognition of that. Yes, God has entrusted the state with specific and limited types of authority. But also, because it's entrusted to them, it makes them accountable to him. So this is not just autonomous authority that God has granted to the state, but it's authority that will be you know, held to account. Um, and you always have to ask the question, well, by what standard, right? Um, that actually came up quite a, a bit when we were talking yesterday, uh, Joel. Um, and I think that's all the more reason why we actually need God's law to inform how we think about uh, government, especially as Christians, but um, also in terms of just society as a whole, because everybody has to ask that question. Well, by what standard do we judge whether or not a government is just or not, right? And I would make the argument as a theologian that if it's not God's standard, it's going to be some subjective standard of man, which will inherently have some deficiencies. In terms of the article, like I said, I think he made a lot of good points. There's some points that I would... Um, disagree or probably state a little bit differently and i think we can maybe talk through some of those um and i'll uh just for for the listener um that i'll put it in the show notes page thaddeus has a a, about an hour long podcast on god and government exegetical considerations of romans 13 1 to 7 so me me and thaddeus had a little bit of discourse back and forth on that one just about my uh let's call it anarchist or libertarian (laughs) tendencies um but no, it's I, yeah, it's uh, it's always good. Um, as hopefully you'll see between this conversation and and the conversations on Thaddeus's podcast, that you know there's a a respectful back and forth to some extent um, on on that. Um, but yeah. looking at um, I I think I I sort of appreciate the title of the section. You know, the mm-hmm. idol idol of religious freedom, because mm-hmm. like anything in this world there's an ability to absolutize or, or put it on a higher pedestal than it should be. And, and mm-hmm. consequently you, you know, um, either sin or idolize or, or whatever you, terminology you want to use with regards to that particular um, mm-hmm. thing in this world. Yeah. So I, 
so with that particular um, section, so I agree, like, you know, a lot of it, a lot of good stuff was said, but I, and I'll throw this out maybe to you and Darnell, right? Um, he had a line in there, I'll read it actually for you. So he said, there are two related ways in which Christians can ascribe a higher importance to religious freedom than they ought. The first is when Christians assume that advocating for religious freedom is sufficient for maintaining a faithful gospel witness. And the second is when Christians believe that religious freedom is somehow necessary to preserve this witness. Now, the thing that I got thinking as I read that line was, well, firstly, how many Christians are actually committing this, you know, supposed idolatry of, you know, thinking that religious freedom is sufficient for gospel witness, meaning that, you know, if we have religious freedom, automatically there's faithful gospel witness. I would conjecture to say that this probably pretty rare that any Christian or any true Christian would think that, um, at least self-consciously. And then on the second point that, you know, when we believe that religious freedom is somehow necessary to preserve this witness, I don't know, I have a hard time like seeing a, just a, a point blank yes on that. I'm like, yes, but, you know, because, and maybe I'm reading into the tone, this is where text is hard. I, I feel like it softens the importance almost of religious freedom when you say you know that oh it's it's not it's important but it's not actually necessary to preserve your witness right um and maybe again i'm reading into the tone of how that's said but i'd love to hear you guys kind of bounce back on that um my first take is sort of thinking yeah. about like a china scenario where yeah. like the church is underground and and I, like if if i'm trying to think about like what is he saying in the sense of necessary to preserve my witness right mm -hmm. so like now this is where the, the I would say is is China more or less successful because of you know preserving of religious freedom, and, and when I say successful, I mean the Chinese church in growing, right? Some people would argue mm -hmm. the fact that they're persecuted is what's led to a greater growth. Mm -hmm. um, and so, if if that's the kind of thing that he's referring to with the word necessary, then I sort of understand, but I, right. but I hear where you're going that like. I don't, and if I look at it, the people that let's say the some a David French article would criticize regarding uh, religious freedoms, I would argue that chances are they're strawmanning their opposition, mm. because that's that's a way to debunk their position, but that's arguably not really the strongest position mm -hmm. that those that have argued for religious liberty that you might disagree with are actually taking. So mm -hmm. I think this is where I'm, I'm to some extent I'm agreeing with you in that what what are the what are I, I don't see tangible examples that come to mind of either mm -hmm. of these things and and using the last two years as an example now yeah. that doesn't mean that somebody who wants to argue against you know whether it's called vaccine mandates um, and they're using a religious freedom argument my first instinct is is that because of either necessary or sufficient. Or is it because they're trying to use the law of the land mm -hmm. to achieve their means? And while, the, and I'm not saying Chris agrees or disagrees with them, but let's say Chris disagreed with them. Could he be boxing them in with this type of a statement? Right. And that's why I use the example, why I said I don't see tangible examples mm -hmm. that, that come to mind when I read those statements. Um, I don't know. What, what uh, Darnell, do you, do you see? that similarly or different or or yeah um can uh can you read that can you read that section again sure 
Uh, so he says, there are two related ways in which Christians can ascribe a higher importance to religious freedom than they ought. The first is when Christians assume that advocating for religious freedom is sufficient for maintaining a faithful gospel witness. And the second is when Christians believe that religious freedom is somehow necessary to preserve this witness. Yeah, so as far as um, sufficient for gospel witness um, in regards to religious freedom, um, I think, I think, um, I was kind of getting that sentiment early in the, um, early in the pandemic, um, in the sense that I was kind of getting that feel like, okay, if you aren't doing this, then you're not really a Christian in regards to the polarization between, um, Christians disagreeing mm -hmm. on, on the freedom they have, uh, whether it's to open a church or the freedom to proclaim the gospel. Um, like one church was better than another. Um, so nobody said that explicitly, but implicitly that was the vibe I was kind of getting. Um, and for the, for the last part, the latter part, um, I used to believe that. Hmm. I used to do that. I used to think like that. Hmm. So, so what, what does that look like? What, it, like for you, what did that, how did that, um, happen? Yeah. Like when you say, I believe that I practically, what did that look like? Yeah. So can you, can you read that last part again? Um, the sure. uh, that last part again, that is just for the listeners to track, track along. Yeah. So the last part is the second is when Christians believe that religious freedom is somehow necessary to preserve this witness. And he's talking about faithful gospel witness. Yeah. Yeah, and so I believed that um, that that the gospel was the main priority, and conversion was the main priority of the Christian. And so, if that's the main priority, then religious freedom is essential to being a Christian. Um, yeah, so I, I used to think that way. Somewhat like sure. a seeker-sensitive church approach. Like oh, no, I, 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 I've never, I've never been seeker no, sensitive. I, I don't, I, I'm drawing, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, um, <laughs> I mean, drawing a parallel that like, okay, um, the primary purpose is to proclaim the gospel and grow your church as opposed to, let's call it the, the ecclesiology, right? Like what is the role of the church? And maybe uh, I'm misreading. Versus, to well, no, no, versus, versus, uh, so for example, um, the first great commission, Genesis 1. 26 to 28, God gives the first cre uh, commission to humankind to be fruitful, multiply, mm -hmm. cultivate the earth, promote human flourishing. So that's the first great commission. The second one, Matthew 28, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So the second great commission was, um, was becoming priority over the first. And so from, in my mind, I, I didn't know about the first one. And so anybody that brought any talks about any civil duty, any social justice idea, I'd be very dismissive and actually consider them not serious about the faith. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I was like that. I used to do that. Right. Um, because the way I came up in the faith was um, salvation or nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then as I've grown in my understanding that it's both it's both and it's not either or mm -hmm. um but so definitely um i i can definitely see where he's coming from and with those people who say okay well 
um, if you're trying to be a good Christian, then you need to, we need to preserve our, our religious freedoms and our, and our liberties. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not sure if uh, um, fully tracking with what you're saying, Darnell. So I want to, you know, try to say it back to you and then you tell me if, if, if I've got you right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, are you saying that like, you know, before you maybe had like this Gnostic dualism of like the spiritual is what really, really matters. But like the, you know, this worldly kind of stuff of, you know, social justice and culture and like, you know, those sorts of things, they, you know, that's, that's art, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like those, yeah. Those are yeah. Those lesser, lesser things, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Those aren't the I, high I, things, I, right? I, I, I would, in the past, I would have rebuked you for, for yeah. being an artist. I'd be like, yo, what are you trying <laughs> for, man? Look at you wasting, wasting time, man. Jesus didn't die, die, die for a paintbrush. You got to yeah, be yeah. out here preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was on I that. Gotcha. I was on that for, for a long time, and that's why we have mm. the po- podcast now. That right. was a turning point for me to be able to say, okay, you know what? Maybe there's a lot more to this Christian life than um, just getting saved. Um, mm. I, I, I remember an analogy um, or illustration somebody used about Jesus doing ministry with Judas, mm. and and the Lord Jesus was faithful in doing ministry alongside Judas, even though he knew Judas wasn't going to make it to the end. Yeah. Um, but Jesus never treated him as a project. Yeah. And so at the time, I, I was treating people as a project. I'm like, look, man, if you ain't trying to get saved, if you're not coming around, then I got to move on because it's a waste of time at, right now. Mm. So that's where I was coming from. And then that, that's why I could agree with Chris um, and see where he was coming from on that. And of yeah. course, um, with, with, with in light of COVID and um, churches being locked down, I, I, I was getting that sentiment like one church um, was more faithful to the gospel than another. Because they chose to be open versus one that chose to be closed. Hi, I'm Darnell Samuels. You may remember me from such podcasts as Thanks Coach and The Sixth Sense Report. When Joel and I are not studying for the next episode, we're paying bills for hosting and production. If you want to help us out, you can make a donation of any amount by clicking the buy me a coffee link in the show notes. If you broke, don't worry about it. You can subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast catcher. If you did this already, then you can share the show with a friend. Joel Jeezy and I appreciate your support. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah, and it was definitely a divisive um, thing, and that's and that's where you know I would say my frustration with much of the religious freedom conversation, I think, didn't do a good job of steelmanning both sides, right? Like, and the reason I think of that is like the churches that would say, you know, this is not our fight; you need to save it for the next one, or like, you know what I mean? Like they were sort of like telling no. That's this isn't the gospel issue that you should be talking about, right? Like we're gonna have battles coming. Wait for it, right? That that was sort of the sentiment I got from the people that were like, no, no, just do what the government says, right? And and I don't I don't mean to sound dismissive when I say that because, um, if we think about religious freedoms on a on a grander scheme, right? What happened in twenty 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 one is minuscule in comparison to you know, potential persecutions that the churches could face in a country that they've largely not been persecuted. 
Um, so I, I, I'll say I appreciated sort of those arguments. What I would have countered with as a position would say that if you wait, there will be no battle to have. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that by the time you think this is the, the battle, you've already lost because you have nowhere left to, to, to fight the battle. Um, now, and, and, but the reason, the reason I brought that up was what Darnell said at the very beginning, that you, know, you saw this tension. Um, and, and I thought, you know, if you take the concept of religious freedoms and the idea that we don't hold others to our own convictions, there, there arguably should have been more unity within the churches between those that chose to open and those that chose to stay closed. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially, I think, considering what, what the motivations are, right? Because there can be, I think, righteous motivations and wrongous, I don't know, <laughs> unrighteous <laughs> uh, motivations behind both of those, right? So, for example, like the just because the end result is the same doesn't mean the motivations were the same. So, you know, a church could have chosen to, for example, uh, remain open and their motivation may have been, uh, we're going to glorify God by doing this because we, you know, value worshiping Christ over even um, our, our own lives, right? Like that we, we, we see that as a high priority and that like we want, we think that this is... The, the best way that we can honor God and to serve as a gospel witness in this in our community and whatnot. Um, and they're doing that out of a, a, a true desire to honor God. But you can have the same result. Let's say another church uh, is re- deciding to remain open, but the motivation in the heart is, well, forget the government. Like we, you know, it's, it's more of a, a, a rebellious sort of, um, uh, you know, motivation behind it that's that's lawless, that's actually, you know, not honoring to God, but it's just rebellion and sin. Um, so I think it, it matters as well to bring in the, the the angle of motivations matter, especially to our God who sees the heart and judges the heart and intentions of men. Um, that you can have two, you know, very similar end result actions, but the motivations that are driving them also matter. And I think for me, it was, I want to see how these churches are getting there. Like in terms of what they de- decide to do, you know, um, for the church that remains that decides to to remain closed, well, is it because of just you know fear of 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 man, or is it, you know or wanting to please and and you know get the brownie points from our our culture? Well, then that's that's probably not a good reason uh, to make that decision, you know. Whereas you can also make the argument that there there are legitimate good reasons to you know to decide for a, a period of time to to stay closed, right? Um, and I, I think like, regardless though, that, that needs to be a temporary measure because the church is the church to gather, uh, and the saints have to gather for worship. That's part of our, our mandate as a church. Um, but I think even to, to maybe push this conversation further, one of the things that's been absent from this whole debate and the boggle and whatnot is also talking clearly about what is the, the, the foundation for religious freedoms. Like we, we sort of mm. tend to take that for granted that, oh yeah, that's something that we should have, but why? And what is the foundation? Why is it that that's a value in our societies that we you know, seem almost instinctively to say, yeah, that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think because a lot of people haven't examined those presuppositions or those founding principles for religious freedom, this is why we have a lot of uninformed opinions about this particular issue. Yeah, no, I think that's a very uh, good point. And I mean, I think I make a, I think part of 
the the argument uh, relates to something that I've been saying that I think is similar is like most people have no concept of what is a constitution, why does it exist, mm-hmm. why why do we have three branches of government? Do do we even ha- most people don't even know that we have three branches of government? And and I mean my punchline is that and it's not really a punchline, but I'm stealing it from Andre Schutten. Um, the role of a of a, a constitution is to restrain the tyranny of kings, mm-hmm. and and so I mean, if we come back to what what you were saying, how um, maybe for the listener, um, and they hear the term religious freedoms, there, I, I can we define it, um, and I presume and, and correct me, either one of you, if I'm wrong here, that that is not we're not talking about. Um, any sort of individual freedom that you have as a Christian, or right, like we're not talking about that sort of religious freedom. We're talking mm-hmm. about sort of a governmental people with relationship to the the community religious freedoms. Yeah. So in terms of like our uh, culture here in Canada, the way that our charter, for example, uh, talks about religious freedoms, it actually doesn't use that phrase. It talks about uh, freedom of conscience, right? It's, it's conscience rights. Um, and I think that's an important uh, distinction within at least our um, particular context, because it's the freedom to believe as you're um, convicted or as you're tradition or whatever uh, goes along. Uh, again, like our, our government is trying to be uh, sort of neutral, I guess, in how they, they frame uh, and word these things. But I think that's, at least here in Canada, when we talk about you know, religious freedom, we're talking about the freedom to believe and practice that's also important as you know you are convicted and, and guided by your um you know i guess worldview right yeah i i would almost say as a concept mm-hmm. freedom of conscience is almost stronger as a principle than freedom of religion because someone could try to box you in that this isn't a religious belief but a strongly held conviction doesn't necessarily need to be, let's call it spiritual or religious in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say conscience, freedom of conscience encapsulates freedom of religion with one caveat, that caveat being you respect the property rights of others. <laughs> um, right. Your means of practicing religion can't harm another, um, let's call it involuntarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I don't know, maybe you agree or disagree, but um, yeah, I've, I've always thought that, well, I think the Canadian constitution is not so great. That term being there is a strong term. I'd say yes and no. <laughs> so I think like, you know, we need to even go one step uh, further back in this whole conversation and just ask the question, like, well, where do religious freedoms or conscience rights come from? Who grants them? Because I think the assumption by a lot of people is that government grants them. But I would give the conjecture that if government grants them, then government is God. (laughs) Uh, Because only God can grant those sorts of rights. These are big, like, rights that we're talking about, right? Like, actually, this goes for all of our what I call fundamental rights. These are pre-political rights that exist before government. And that's why, for example, in the U.S. Constitution, they, it's written in such a way that we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That means that the government recognizes these rights. They didn't create them, they just recognize them. And I think that's the right way to think about them, because these rights are not granted or invented by government. 
they're given to us by God because we're created by him and we're creatures of him. Government's role then is to recognize these rights. And I think until we recover that fundamental understanding of it, we're going to keep you know, going in circles because you, you don't have a, a, a basis, a sound, sure foundation for these rights until you understand where they come from. But, no. but what if the government doesn't recognize it, right? So the, tyranny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I always say this, you know, um, there's, there's plenty of atheists in the world, right? Who don't, you know, recognize the God who is, but they still have to live in his world, right? Like the, the fact that I don't recognize, you know, let's say gravity or whatever it is, <laughs> doesn't change, you know, automatically stop gravity from working, right? Like I, I still live in that world. Uh, and it's the same thing with governments that even though they may, you know, rebel, let's <laughs> just be uh, frank without biblical language, right? Like they may be in rebellion to the God who is, they still live in his world and are, are going to ultimately be accountable to him. Um, but I think this is also where Christians have to understand our responsibility, both as individuals, but then also as the church. I think one of the things that has come out um, during this time is that it's revealed that the church in large part has become a little bit retreatist and a little bit, I don't want to use these words necessarily pejoratively. I don't think it's a, a intentional uh, sort of unfaithfulness, if you want to call it that or whatever, but it's perhaps just something that happened as a slow sort of, you know, chipping away. But it's almost like we've given up our, our birthrights in a sense, right? Uh, that we've we've kind of retreated from certain spheres and certain topics, thinking that, you know, we that's not proper for the church to talk about. Uh, but if we believe that God's word is, is sufficient and is, it, it encapsulates all of life, then it has something to say to every part of life. And the more and more we retreat from being, bringing God's word specifically to bear on these issues, the, the, the more dark those um, areas will become. Because Christians, we're salt and light. Salt preserves and light illuminates. So wherever we aren't in society is going to decay and it's going to become dark. Uh, and I think we're reaping the the bad fruit of that of many many years of the church not speaking to these issues and in, and and informing the public even an unbelieving public of how God's word brings wisdom to bear on how these institutions should function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and and I know a number of Christians who think something like, you know, keep pol- politics out of the pulpit. <laughs> and and I mean, should your pastor be saying? vote for this party or candidate no no okay fair but like they should be speaking to the principles that Mm -hmm. you're going to use when it comes time to go to the voting booth absolutely because people are always being discipled it's just a matter of who's doing the discipling and for what kingdom Mm. you know we kind of assume that oh you know if we don't talk about this we'll just be remain neutral no we won't we'll get (laughs) discipled by the world by the devil by you know Mm. uh, we will start thinking unbiblically about these things like we're always being discipled at every moment it's just a matter of by whom and for what kingdom that's good no that's and i think that's um i i'd be curious how those that make the claim that i just made would respond to what you said because that's sort of like uh oh yeah what are you gonna say like there's no in some sense my instinct is like there's no rebuttal to that it's Mm. absolutely true well i think we've we've kind of drunk the the liberal kool-aid sorry i don't you know necessarily (laughs) use the word liberal pejoratively but we've drunk that kool-aid of thinking that there's a, a neutral space but there isn't 
There's no neutrality. If you think about it, like uh, our liberal secular societies and like um, more leftist sort of, let's say, leaning ideologies, they're not acting and, and, and behaving out of a neutral worldview. They're doing it out of their own worldview. They want to see their vision of what society should look like enacted and they're aggressively going for it. Like, look at, you know, how the whole, let's say, LGBTQ agenda, how the whole, um, you know, climate change and, uh, and radical environmentalism, um, not against, you know, being taking care of the earth that we've been entrusted to. Exactly. By God. But there is a, a whole radical side of that. But look at how they they're almost religious in the way that they pursue these things, right? That they proselytize, they try to convert people to this, that they, they, you know, try to enact this, this vision upon society. And they sometimes even force it upon people who don't want it. Right. Um, that's why we're paying, you know, so much on carbon taxes, for example, <laughs> right? Uh, like there's no neutral space. Mm-hmm. Everyone is acting mm-hmm. out of their worldview. No. Yeah, no, that that's, that's so true. It's, um, it's it's frustrating for at least for me when you see the um you know the christians who who are almost blind to that what you've just described or or let's say willfully ignorant right like they they don't want it to be true they want let's take the concept of coexist but in reality the there are other parties who are not and i i i I'm going to say Christians generally, obviously there aren't always, Christians generally from a gospel perspective view joining the faith as a voluntary thing, mm. right? So as much as you, you use the word proselytize, and, and, and I was sort of, yeah, okay, well, we, you know, we proclaim our gospel. We, we try to con- have converts, but it is in a manner, uh, not on a totalitarian perspective, not on a coercion perspective. Mm-hmm. But many other of these, you know, coexist ideas that they try to proclaim. Like I'm thinking of that stu- that bumper sticker that has like all the logos on it and the word coexist, <laughs> yeah. right? And and like some of that, when you think of not just religions but the liberal ideologies, are not actually interested in having a, you know, harmony between different worldviews, mm. right? Whereas there there's a a voluntary nature for Christians. Sure, there's a there's a level of I don't want to expose my family to maybe some debauchery that other people are willing to to participate in, and and so yes, there's an an exclusion component that Christians may have, but but there's not an aspect of you must live your life my way. That mm-hmm. that does seem to be sort of rising um, mm. in today, and and this is where you know if we we circle back around when Darnell made the comment about. Uh, the church is doing different things and I said about the harmony I was thinking back to the John MacArthur scenario mm. and his church and them actually putting forward a really solid like elder statements and documents and and I mean on that podcast I just stick like I, me and Darnell sort of had a slightly different position but I sh- said something along the lines of I took this as MacArthur's church saying this is our convictions for us which I know is sort of foreign for MacArthur because he's very much like telling, you know, he has a very like <laughs> proclaiming of what is right that, that sort of goes with his legacy. Mm. Um, but, but I just thought that his church did a very like us focused convictions approach. And then let's use Big Eva. 
you just saw this like and and I see Big Eva as a prime example and and maybe I'm wrong a little bit there not everybody in Big Eva would qualify as this but do Big we need e- to define what Big Eva is yeah 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 so okay, I was gonna say okay, sorry so it's big evangelism sort of like we talk about big uh big food big pharma like the, the idea that they've become these like monstrous um organizations kind of yes that that yeah. um have a different i mean they're not they're not churches let's put it that way right they're they're religious ish entities um but the so coming back to the so so big eva's role very much was somewhat like i think of different quotes or tweets about like loving your neighbors wearing a mask mm-hmm. you know and there's this like coercion that's going on to like follow what everybody else is doing and big eva was sort of participating i think part of uh what plays into that too is that big eva tends to have quite close ties to politics especially in the state um you look at like some of the pastoral leaders for these mega churches and so on they're rubbing shoulders with a lot of politicians as well um and that can start to influence you know how uh yeah, how things are communicated. I actually saw one uh, particular video that was a little bit of an expose, I guess, just showing um, how these big name evangelical leaders had received, had, you know, were invited to some elite sort of, uh, I guess, a meeting with, you know, government officials and so on, where they were basically telling them, this is the messaging that we want you to propagate through your pulpit because you hold a massive sway within you know, American culture. And, you know, it was big names like, you know, guys like Rick Warren and stuff uh, who were in these sort of meetings. So, you know, that sort of mixing of, uh, I guess you could call it a mixing of church and state uh, with the big Eva sort of corporation, that, that's definitely a, a problem that exists. Uh, how much it, it's reflected here in Canada? I don't know if I can speak as authoritatively to that. Um, but yeah, sorry, con- continue with your point though, Joel. No, I mean, and, and it's, you know, this, like you hear guys like A.D. Robles and others that just they constantly use that term Big Eva, Big Eva, Big Eva. And, and just mm-hmm. um, but, you know, coming back to to what you know, just what I was saying about during the early part of the pandemic, it was like, no, no, just go along. Right. Mm-hmm. As as opposed to and, and I'm oversimplifying it. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, to pretend like they didn't maybe have a more slightly more nuanced position. But it's like. I'm just like that argument of like, oh, loving your neighbors, wearing a mask is like, are you trying to be a heretic? Like, and, and I'm not saying it's heretical that someone could have that conviction, mm. but to proclaim that conviction for everybody is heretical, right? right? It, it, you're saying like more, more so in like a thus says the Lord sort of way, right? Yeah. Or, or these, you know, public Christian figures yeah. not saying why they're personally feeling convicted that this is the right thing to do for them. Mm-hmm. But they're proclaiming loving your neighbor is this. Yeah. Right? Um, it's just and, this. And like, that's where that, that question by what standard comes in again. Because I, I would just say, well, the thing that tells me what loving my neighbor is, is God's word. And I need to, like, if I'm going to bind Christians' consciences to anything, it needs to be captive to the word of God, not to the opinions of men. And I think that would be more the line and the sign that sand that I would draw is when Christian leaders are trying to bind their people's consciences without a word from the Lord, you know, without yeah, scripture yeah, to say, Hey, this is why, and this is how I can make my case through scripture through not like just cherry picking verses, but through its natural context and show you, this is why 
you know, this is loving your neighbor. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, I was sort of tying it also back to what you were saying sort of about the, you know, that, that liberal coexist come, you know, peace where it's just like, mm. you know, there's this, there's this lack of like, what is, as you sort of articulated it, what is the Christian worldview answer to this particular scenario? And, and forget the noise, forget these, the, the perspectives that are beyond, you know, a, a Christian worldview. Not to say that they, you can't pull something out of there, but, but those, it, there's just this, as you said, they're rubbing shoulders too much with politicians, maybe. And, and they're, you know, the motivations become, well, what is this about? Right? Like, what, what are you trying to do here? Um, and, and I mean, to draw, you know, a, a parallel, not totally to go down the rabbit hole too much, but I think there's a really good, um, podcast i don't know if it's the right word but like this there's 30 minute clip about the ending of t4g um and and darnell's word to me was like this was powerful just because it was telling the whole story of like how t4g came about and to some extent like the rise and fall but not in a bad way just almost like it was described as this was coming to an end um but where the the parallel i'm drawing to is like the very beginning like what was the motivation in 2010 when these guys are creating this thing and how they went about it from a very like Christian centric community brotherhood approach mm-hmm. that like if you like I think prior to the so they had a T4G I want to say it just happened was the final one I, was it last weekend I don't know if either yeah, of you guys know. yeah okay it's pretty yeah. recent I think yeah. it was last weekend last weekend. yeah yeah it was it was um and then you know prior to that the previous one was 2018 the amount of division that has come about within the Christian community between together for like 2018's together for the gospel T4G and now is so vast that it almost makes me say like we need something like a T4G's original motivation even more. But my question is like, and and I don't mean to sound conspiratorial with the statement, but like how much does that actually they didn't really talk about that in the story as to why they were you know ending this project let's call it mm-hmm. but but i'm wondering how much that this division and this big eva sort of cuz in 2010 we wouldn't have used the term big eva but yeah well I, I think i think they sort of did i think i think they sort of pointed to um what the issue was which was um pretty fascinating <laughs> um and that it it kind of ate itself alive in the sense that um, T4G started with four guys, uh, four solid guys, Mark Dever, Al Mohler, uh, CJ Mahaney, and Ligon Duncan. And it started with those four and their friendship. And, and, and the idea was to multiply those friendships. And so the, the friendships started multiplying. And hence the conference just got bigger and bigger and then and the network got bigger and bigger and the friendships got bigger and bigger but the problem was that there was a lot of especially in light of two things um racial reconciliation and um covid um and where certain pastors fell on that um and so um you know, guys were falling off or, or not necessarily falling off, but there was disagreements, right? Because it's, it's like, for example, me and Joel are cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joel's cool with Thaddeus. But because of where Thaddeus stands, I can't be, Joel might be cool with Thaddeus, but because of where Thaddeus stands, I'm like, ah, Joel's going to sign off on 
on Thaddeus's ministry. I won't sign off on it. And now it makes things awkward when we go Ouch, to our conference. We're not cool. We're not cool. I love it. Right. Yeah, but 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 that but that's how it was, right? So, mm. um, you know, guys are rolling with certain guys, and they don't like where certain guys fell on certain things. For example, John MacArthur's statement on social justice. Yeah. Um, Al Mohler never signed off on it. Um, Mark Dever never signed off on it. And I, and I don't think Ligon Duncan signed off on it. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and it goes back and forth. And so that's what kind of led to the breakup. Now, mind you, um, the four core guys, Al Mohler, um, you know, he, he, he wasn't reelected um, to be the president of um, Southern Baptist uh, Seminary. And so he came in like third in the voting. Uh, so he, I guess people aren't seeing him um, as a savior as he once was. Um, so he's kind of stepped down from T4G. Um, CJ Mah- Mahaney um, has kind of stepped down because of some other issues that are happening at his church. And so at that point, they're kind of like, you know what? Let's call it a day. Um, and, and not because they hate each other. But just because, um, yeah, it's it's time to to move on. Um, in, in light of the f- the four core guys just dispersing, and of course the overlap with the controversies with with racial reconciliation and mm. um, COVID. So they kind of, and that's why I said they kind of ate themselves alive alive as as they grew bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I haven't listened to the the podcast or the audio as yet. I'm interested to hear that story. Um, I have my own little theories, if you guys want to entertain it a bit, um, on sure. just that whole, you know, Big Eva, T4G, mm. even mm. TGC sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I know you guys, a little bit of your, your stories, like we were all sort of part of that whole, you know, young, restless, reformed uh, kind of days, right? You, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. where you're like yeah. binge watching Paul Washer and like, you know, you just, you, you wake up to hear, um, what's his, what's his name? Uh, John Piper. John Piper. I was going to say James White debates. <laughs> James White mm-hmm. debates. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or um, oh, why is his name slipping me? Marcel guy. Oh, oh Mar- uh, Mark, Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. Yeah, like you oh, just boy. got up in the morning oh, to boy. hear Mark yes. Driscoll yell at you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> not, not throwing any shade there, but... Uh, yeah. No, 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 you should. You should be. Should be. <laughs> um, because because I, I, I heard the Christianity for Today, um, yeah. the Fall of Mars Hill, that podcast series. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah, Yo, it's it brutal. It some things I can't things. even... Some things that dude was saying, I can't even repeat it. Mm, yeah yeah it anyways me? yeah yeah go ahead <laughs> anyways, not to not to derail the conversation yeah, but yeah, 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 uh, right. you know we were all into that sort of uh world i guess of these you know guys who are bringing us super pastors uh, into, celebrity yeah pastors. yeah they're celebrity pastors but also they're bringing us into like this reformed ish theology at least in the soteriology right and like i think like there was this reformed resurgence or what was being called a reformed resurgence but really it was a justification resurgence it was just a recovery of, you know, the, the five solas and the five points of Calvinism. Um, and in a way, I really wrestle with this. I'm going to say this, but um, I hope people don't take this as like a, a jab, right? Um, but in a way, like Together for the Gospel and the Gospel Coalition are in a sense a little bit misnomers. Um, and I, I'll explain what I mean by that. Because what they're together for, and there's, there's nothing wrong with this, but they're together for justification, really. 
because a lot of what they spoke very clearly and and I benefited so much for was just clarity over the 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 message of salvation in Christ alone, right? Like personal salvation, particularly, and justification by faith alone. Um, you know, not of works, etc. Like there's just such a, a refreshing clarity, and even over like doctrines like the total depravity of man and those sorts of things. You know, that I think really inflamed a lot of us young guys who are just now clamp, like clamping on to some solid theology, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But you know. When I think about the gospel, especially now, as I've had more time to grow as a theologian and read more and to just understand more of God's word, the gospel is not just only about personal salvation. Like it obviously encompasses that. Like that's a Mm -hmm. huge component of it. But, you know, when Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel, it was a gospel of a kingdom. It was not just a gospel of Jesus in your heart. And I think this also has relevance to what we were talking about in terms of religious freedom, because the type of religious freedom that some people have in their mind today is a religious freedom that only exists between your two ears. It's a freedom to just believe in your head what you believe. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, once that comes out into the real world and impacts real world life and and real issues like abortion and stuff, oh, no, 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 that's too far. That's not religious freedom. That's politics now. Right. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like, I think like it was almost like this, these, these movements didn't go far enough in the sense of like the reform, reformation that was needed. Like they blessed a lot of people, including myself. And I'm super thankful for those guys in terms of the clarity that they brought around justification issues and even around complementarian stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were, there really wasn't a whole lot else that was at least in the beginning days. And I'd say even now it's only starting to grow uh, that spoke to how the gospel impacts all of life. And I think that's why we're seeing a deficiency played out now, even in terms of how Christians are thinking about the state, because that was also something that was never really hit. Right. And like, it's not that the reformed tradition doesn't have anything to say about that. It has a lot. There's a wealth of of wisdom about it within the reformed tradition, but we just never were exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No. Well. Well. I. I know. In the. In that. Um. Podcast slash article. By TGC, and they were talking about the start of. Um. T4G, mm-hmm. and and Mark Dever was saying in one of his um first opening talks of the conference, uh, he was saying like, "Oh, that you know, clip is so good." By the way, like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I. I think Mark Dever. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mark Dever is definitely um a talent. Yeah. He's definitely a talent in regards to, how funny he is. He almost has like stand-up comedian type mm-hmm. type of yeah. talent, mm-hmm. and so he was making jokes about how how divided yet united we are on issues, and so he was kind of cracking jokes about that. But it was kind mm-hmm. of pointing back to what you're saying, and I guess what you're saying is pointing back to what I was saying in regards to I was seeing um, the faith is one dimensional, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that and that's where it was flowing out of like it was just one dimensional. I was only seeing okay, like um what's his name? Um, David Platt, mm-hmm. right? Listening to a lot of David Platt, you add him to the list and that dude gets fired up when it comes to missions. <laughs> yeah. That dude, that dude will make you, you know, sell your mom's house <laughs> and, and move to a third country. Yeah, move to yeah. a third world country to, to go preach the gospel, right? Yeah. That, that's the kind of guy. What if my mom's to. house is in a third world country though? <laughs> yeah. <'Cause it> is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, man, but those guys will make, yeah, but but again, yeah. it's a full orb, a, a holistic view um yeah. of the scriptures and i think when it was starting up it was kind of to combat the um 
the um the postmodern church um the mm-hmm. um the emergent church, seeker sensitive, like, Mm -hmm. like that was what they were battling. Um, but we can, all three of us could probably sit here and I don't think anybody would disagree with me. Um, but I would say that, um, (laughs) yo, the, 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 the social justice movement, you know, punched the church in the eye. (laughs) <laughs> and now and now we're scrambling we're trying to get up and be like yo who hit me <laughs> it's like you know that scene from um was it with chris tucker and jackie chan you know when yeah, he gets yeah. kicked in the face he's like <laughs> which one are you guys kicking <laughs> yeah no but, but but i i felt like um from yeah. what i'm looking at from the outside in um mm-hmm. you know the social justice movement and and a little bit of covid um has definitely um I don't want to say divided church because Christ is planting his church and 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 he, and he is the the head of the church and yeah. Christ won't let anything happen to his body. Um so that's not what I'm saying, but I I'm saying definitely um from a um a man-centered perspective. Um there's a lot of division and a lot uh because of that. Um things that were once united are no longer united. Even Joel and I have talked about this in passing in regards to the legacy conference in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um you know, um, it, it started out with with reformed leanings, and now it has more of a social justice bent. And you know, a lot of guys are divided about um, you know attending and being a part of this conference that was once a place for um, young people doing young you know minorities doing ministry in the urban context can go and learn about the Lord and be themselves and learn about sound doctrine. But now it has more um, social justice leanings, which kind of ruins the whole thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. You know, I, I'd almost make the argument, and I wouldn't make it too too forcefully, but like in a sense, this sort of uh, dissolution, let's say, it was inevitable because mm-hmm. yes, the grounds of like the unity was too minimalist in a sense. Yes. Right. Um, like, and and it's not to say that you know justification is unimportant and is not a very powerful uniting factor. Um, but I can illustrate this really easily. The fact that you know justification alone cannot be the grounds of 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 longstanding unity, and this is illustrated by the fact that we have different denominations who are all agreed on justification. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that's it. That's the our unity in terms of in the body of Christ and in the true church. But there's so much more um, to you know building true long lasting unity. And I think these movements uh, perhaps were a little immature, and maybe we're seeing some maturity happening now, um, and they're growing in that in 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 just a, a more robust sort of um, worked out theology into all of of these areas because. I think like that's inevitably how the church grows. Like you look throughout church history, like all of our creeds and confessions come yes. out of, you know, yes. controversy, Heresy. right? Heresy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, facts. You know? And yeah, we yeah. might be living in a time where you might, I don't know if the church might have to write some sort of a creed or a confession around like these social well, justice issues, for example. I know yeah, that's what well, J-, J Mac was trying to do, but you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. We're definitely growing um, and reforming. Um, not reformed, but reforming in regards to how we respond um, to these issues. And so for me, I just been kind of like watching mm-hmm. and trying to follow along and not be so heavy handed in the sense like I'm, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I'm learning because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit me to go, around, go along with the crowd. And I don't even understand what the heck is going on myself. Because sometimes I sit back and I'm like, what 
what is actually going on? I, I'm confused. Like every time I, I log on, there's this, like even um, Joel and I are in this chat with a, a couple of our old Bible study buddies. And uh, there was one of the guys posted something about- Yeah, C- um, CLS from Darnell's, you know, salvation only days. Just kidding. Yeah. No, well, it's true. I it's know. True. That's, it's true. I, like, um, it's funny. And, as you're telling this story, sorry, to go back in there earlier, I'm literally thinking about Darnell during the podcast or during the days of being in this Bible study. You're like, Oh yeah, I could totally see that. Like, oh yeah, you can show. <laughs> like, you see what I'm just, saying? Just that, like, <laughs> like almost like, and and I think there's a fact of like being a young Christian at the time. All of those where you just had this like tunnel vision towards learning at the same time. Like, it wasn't inherently a bad thing, but it was like a stage of your life as you grew and and matured in your faith. Yeah, um, and and so and so yeah. Sorry. So one of the guys in the group. Um, one of the guys in the group made a point about um, reconstructing your faith, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. You know, you want to reconstruct. <laughs> and then another guy posts an article that reconstruction is like, a, is like a code word for some other woke terminology about this and that. And, and, yeah, because it's you know after what, guys? deconstruction. Yeah, yeah but you, you know what? But you know what? The point is, I, I, you know, I kind of sat there and I said, okay, you know what? Like y'all are moving too fast for me. <laughs> like there's reconstruction, deconstruction. Me, I'm still trying to kill my own sin. <laughs> like I, I don't like I don't have time to keep up with who's woke and who's broke. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, well, it's like I mean, the, when you said that, the term that comes to my mind is like this idea of like decolonization of the gospel or like some of those yeah. crazy. It's like either you believe like there's the true gospel. And either you've believed heresy mm-hmm. and the word of God is all you need to correct you, or you're talking heresy. <sighs> right? Like, I don't know. That's just, I know it's an oversimplification, but like when it starts getting into this, like, oh, your, your faith has been perverted by whiteness or by whatever, right? Like the, the same thing with the deconstruction, right? The idea is like, oh, you need to think about your biases and the biases of the, people that you're studying under and how are they influencing you and your gospel perspectives have been you know and encapsulating also culture and 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 while in inherently there's an aspect where some of that could be true do you believe in the power of god and his gospel or not because if you believe in it then the ability for those deceptions to have significant strongholds over in this case, like we're talking centuries, like just sounds um, heretical, <laughs> right? Like, like think about how, like I understand, like the I'm thinking of like, um, sure, there was the 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 church, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church, in in terms of you know operating in power and exploiting that power at times. It's not like we would say throughout that entire history or or like up until the 1600s, you know, all of church history was perverted by that. Right? There's a segment that needed the gospel or or I should say scriptures to correct itself. Nothing else. They didn't need to re- reflect on where were they deceived based on the culture. No, they just compared itself to the scripture and went, "Oh, we're wrong." Like that that I know it's an over like I'm oversimplifying what happened in that time frame. 
but but to me it's just like I, i'm sort of lost as as darnell said like hold on wait what are you guys talking about <laughs> like is, is is such a resonating statement to me because it's like wait do we agree on the gospel do we agree on the word of god and its power and you know, inerrancy of scriptures, the five soul, that kind of, if we're in the same bucket, then how are we having this conversation? I'm confused. It kind of goes back uh, as well to, you know, Darnell's point, you know, that man, like we're too busy to keep up with all of these isms and, and schisms, right? That there's so much going on. Uh, it's hard to keep up. Uh, but I think it comes back to even what I was talking about in the beginning in terms of my vision for equipping uh, creatives and just Christians in general. I think the, the, you know, I'm sure this is a tired old illustration, but you know the illustration of like, how do you train like a bank teller to tell a counterfeit? You don't give them a whole bunch of counterfeits. You give them the real thing and they, they get so, you know, uh, mm. familiar with the real thing that they can spot a counterfeit instinctively. And I think like it, this is exposing um, the fact that like, I would say more so within our congregation and our pews that perhaps we overestimated how well the average layperson, the average lay Christian, could actually um, both understand, apply, uh, and and just dis- use the the scriptures to discern and filter everything. Mm. You know, like I th- I feel like we're starting to see that maybe our biblical literacy wasn't as high as we thought it was, because the fact that Christians who've been going to church for you know some of them decades can fall prey to such ideologies like critical race theory so easily. And to be honest, when you boil it down, it's not that complicated to figure out that partiality is wrong. <laughs> and it doesn't depend and it doesn't matter who you're showing partiality to, right? Like that, that's, that's just basic. But the fact that we, you know, that some people couldn't see that um, showed that, you know, perhaps our biblical literacy was really not as high as we thought. And maybe, you know, as, as churches and as, um, as leaders within the church, we needed to work a little bit harder at getting people to, to, to develop those skills because i know darnell is a teacher but but i think like our public school systems have kind of failed us in in this regards of equipping people you know there, there used to be a book um mortimer adler's i know how to read a book i think mm-hmm. that's that's that should be required reading mm-hmm. these days because a lot of people don't have that basic mm-hmm. skill uh, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. would go so far in terms of bringing true reformation. I mean, that was the, that was the impetus of, the, of a lot of the reformers was like, we just want to give people the scriptures and teach them how to read it. You know, um, I forget which reformer it was who was like, you know, uh, I'm going to betray it, but he's like, you know, the, the average, you know, cattle person with a Bible in hand is, is, is more powerful than the Pope in Rome or something like that. Uh, and that's, it's very true, you know, because mm-hmm. God's word is powerful. It's relevant to all of life. It's sufficient for equipping the man of God so that he's complete lacking nothing. So then what else do we need? Right. Um, so yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that yeah, totally. I think yeah, our yeah, present yeah. moments expose that. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, Mortimer Adler's um, How to Read a Book. Um, we, Was we that our first episode on it? Type beast, beast, type episode? beast episode? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's How to Read a Book. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Um, and I incorporate those, those principles. Um, when, when, and also when deciding which book to read more thoroughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the big takeaway for me is really like you can use it as a tool really to audit. Is this content worth my time? Mm. Um, and, and I know that's oversimplification, but um, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure we could keep going, Thaddeus, but we're, we're, mm-hmm. we've, we're appreciative of your time. Um, why don't you... Uh, give the listener, you know, if they want to reach out to you, they want to follow your content, uh, what, what, where can they reach you? Where can they contact you? 
Um, and obviously I'll put all this stuff in the show notes page, make it easy on the listener. For sure, man. Thanks so much uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure to have this discussion with you guys. Looking forward to hanging out more. Uh, but if you guys uh, listening in want to follow me and to see what I'm up to and just some of the content that I'm putting out at Theotivity, it's pretty easy to find. Theotivity.com. Uh, Theo, as in God. Tivity, I guess, is just the last half of creativity. <laughs> um, just smash those two words together, you'll get Theotivity. Uh, you can follow me on all the socials at Theotivity uh, is my handle on Instagram and Facebook. And just recently started posting some stuff on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, if you want to follow there, I also have a podcast. Uh, you can get it on all of the usual channels uh, through like Google, Spotify, or Apple, or wherever else you're going to catch a podcast. Um, but yeah, and if you want to reach out, you can always reach out through email, uh, theotivity at gmail.com. Uh, love to hear feedback from people or even just ideas for either episodes or articles and those sorts of things. Uh, especially, actually, I'm going to put this one out there. If anybody uses my gospel page to either, you know, they came to faith through it or to lead someone to faith, I would love to hear that story. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they, they might even end up on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, I would totally interview them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. No, uh, man, I'm I'm appreciative uh, uh, as as you know we, we continue to chat. Uh, I appreciate conversations with you, and um, hopefully the listeners uh, do as well. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Thaddeus. It was it was really good. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. But you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.